And this is the first time she'd ever been here, and maybe even the last time she'll ever be. You never know. Uh, it's just so important when they're praying for the Holy Ghost and they're that close that we do everything we can to get that person prayed through because they may go back where they live and they may not attend church. Now, we did give to her the name of a church there and the pastor, and hopefully you know, she'll go back and there's something inside of her that will be crying out to the Lord and she will find her way to the house of God. But that's not always the case. So you never know when someone's down here praying whether they will ever attend again or ever get another chance to, to be saved. My, I'll tell you, things are just shaping up in our world. They're really shaping up in our world. I, I was so moved, and I don't have notes together for this. I had planned on giving uh, not a Bible study but uh, preaching a message. I just... Uh, felt that I shouldn't tonight about the coming of the Lord, but nevertheless, after service started going, I, I, I just felt maybe I should convey a few things. You know, this, all the peace treaties and talks and such that are going on in the Middle East, it's just amazing. I was just so amazed when, when I, I heard uh, the leaders of uh, the Mideast countries as they began to talk, and especially uh, the the uh, Prime Minister of Israel, uh, when he began to talk about uh, letting the borders down, or making an open border, very similar, or perhaps even more open than what we have between the countries surrounding America, that is Mexico and Canada, where people can go uh, quickly and easily back and forth. And they had made reference that, that their plans were to make a, a highway a superhighway all the way from Egypt to Syria. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Bible prophecy, but that's prophesied in the book of Isaiah that it's going to happen that way. I'll tell you, and whenever I heard that, I quickly turned in the Bible to that scripture and read it. I showed this to Sister Grant and, and Brother Charlie, and the Spirit of the Lord came down while we were talking about it in our living room in just a powerful way. Uh, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the Lord's coming back soon, uh, real soon. And, of course, what troubles my heart is that I see so many people that are so complacent. I mean, people who are precious to me, people who mean so much to me. And I see some of our young uh, teenagers, especially some of our young boys, who just they got their mind on everything under the burning sun but God. You know, now... <laughs> Uh, they come to church, some of them do, and some of you are here, and you, it's good for you that you hear me. You're, you know, if, if you didn't have uh, interest in other young people and such, I don't know what you'd be doing. You probably wouldn't be here because it seems like your predominant interest is not in God himself. And, and because of this, unless you get a hold of God and get a relationship with God, you probably won't be saved. You know, I'm speaking very frankly with you, but that's just the way it is. I, I have a deep, deep burden for your soul. A deep burden for your soul. I have wept and cried and prayed and sought God. And some of you, you know, it boils down to this, that you've got to want to be saved yourself. You've got to want to be saved yourself. And for that reason, I'm going to preach on the subject, give me the want to. You know, Brother Alan Oggs was here, and he read, I say he read, he, he has written the book, and then a follow-up to the book he's written, but the, the original book was entitled, You've Got to Have the Want To. And he wasn't just talking about God, but excelling in life, but 
Uh, we're talking about God because you can excel in life and do a lot of things for yourself. But what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus even went so far as to say a man would be better off if his hand offended him to cut it off and enter, enter into heaven with one hand than to go into hell with two. He said he'd be a whole lot better off if his eye offended to pluck his eye out. You better to go into hell uh, or into heaven rather with one eye than into hell with two. Praise God. If you're going to be serious about serving God, please make a start tonight. Please make a start tonight. You know, I've preached for many years. I believe the Lord's going to come on a common day just like this day. It's simply because I, I believe, you know, that there will be a lot of warnings. Man, we've had so many warnings. We have, and we seem to go from warning to warning. I've, I know some of you that when the Mid-East uh, mid War, the Gulf War, when that took place, some of you prayed. I saw you in the prayer rooms. I saw you come down to the altar. You were here. So it was all, all over with. Guess what? You stopped praying like that. I saw that happen to you. It was like, well, it's over and Jesus didn't come, so I got a little time. Well, you see, your prayers were not based upon a relationship. It was based upon a scared to save your own hide because you didn't want to go to hell. Somewhere you're going to have to develop a relationship with God, something that will take you to the prayer room, something that will take you to the closet of prayer, something that will put God on your mind every day or every hour of every day. Praise God. You can't have your mind on rap music and rock and roll and bebop and all this kind of stuff throughout the week and walk into church on Sunday night and then think, well, if rapture takes place, I'm going up. Hopefully you will. I don't want to see anybody lost. I'm not trying to get tough on anybody, but the truth of the matter is you're going to have to shake yourself. You're going to have to get a hold of yourself. Because the way you're going now, some of you, when you leave your mom's home, or your dad's home, or your mom and dad's home, that's going to be the end of you spiritually. Because the only thing that's keeping you is the, the relationship you have with your mom and with your dad. And that's it. And you're headed that direction. Listen, you don't want to be lost. And there's nothing that you can gain in this world. Nothing. That, that, will, that will give you the Evidently, the pleasure satisfaction that you think it's going to give you outside of God himself. Praise God. Oh, I don't even know if I want to read this scripture text or not. I just I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in such a great way. I'm not even going to have you to stand. I, I just want to just start talking to you. Luke 22, verse 31 Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Now, you know, Jesus could look into a man's heart before he saw any external actions, but sometimes it is amazing how that you could predict certain things just by seeing uh, the reaction of people to various circumstances. Perhaps this is as far as Jesus had to go because Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He, uh, God is omniscient. That means that he knows all. 
He sees all. And Jesus spoke as both man and God. But, uh, you know, there are little things that occur in the lives of people. And you see these things. And you see how the devil works on people. You can see how he works on one, how this one will get discouraged. He works on this one, and maybe this one will become worldly-minded. He works on this one, and this one will become uh, stuck on himself, you know. I see, I see young people in various stages. I went through these stages. I still go through stages. But you go through these various stages. Young, young boys, all of a sudden they, 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 they know that, uh, you know, if they lift a lot of weights, they can become strong. And they start putting emphasis on sports and, or athletics and their own bodies and such. And it's amazing how those things can, can, can take them away from God. I'm not, I'm not against Boys lifting weights and such in our Christian school. We have been, we've tried our best with the amount of money and, and equipment we have to produce a, you know, do what we can for the kids. We're not, but, but see, that's not the primary purpose of the school. That's not where our priorities are. That's not our top priority. Well, I believe that, that this is a part of, uh, 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 of our mental, uh, psychological, and biological development. There's much more to it than that. You don't keep it in its proper place. You get stuck on yourself. You know, some some of you to to dance in the spirit, mess up your hair, or make yourself look a little odd or something. You'd just rather go to hell than do that. Just, just no, I don't want to. I'm serious with you. I'm talking to you real plain, but you'd rather do that. And and, and really, it's 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 so pathetic. You know, a person wrapped up in, in themselves, you are wrapped up in the smallest package on the planet Earth, yourself. That's the way it is, see. There are <clears throat> five billion just like you. And each one is just as important as you. But this is what the Lord told Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now you notice the word Simon of Peter, the name Simon Peter appears in the Bible. The word Peter means rock. Uh, it means small rock, uh, not a large rock, uh, but a small rock. But the word Simon actually means shifting sands. You notice how when the Lord told him that Satan desired to sift him as wheat, he used the word Simon, not Peter. Satan would like to sift you, separate you, shake you down, so that you diminish down to, to just a small grain. That's what he'd like to do. So if Satan had his way, he'd destroy you. On the other hand, there is a scripture in the Bible that I want to call your attention to. Uh, this is just not anything new at all. This is kind of old hat preaching. Things that you know that you've heard. And, and that's 2 Peter 3. <clears throat> my, my, my. 2 Peter 3. 
Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Did you know, when I see this, and when I equate this with what I was talking about, the reason why that some of you are still in church, it's not based upon your relationship with God, it's based upon God's extreme compassion for you. That's, that's what it's based upon. In other words, God has poured out many, many blessings upon you that you, that, that by all rights, you know, that, I know that grace means unmerited favor, but by all rights, you're doing nothing uh, to enhance the move of God in your life. I mean, Nothing. And you know who you are because you know your own heart. Now, sometimes people don't know their heart, but when, when Pastor Grant talks like this, the Holy Ghost begins to talk to you. You know. Amen. I say, amen, it's right. I mean, it's right. It's dead right. Yeah. So here's a situation that I see because Satan desired to... Sh to to, to destroy Peter. And we know that he desires to destroy you. And God says that he will do anything to save you. Satan and God battles over you each day on the neutral grounds of your own will. In other words, you determine who's going to get you. You've got to have the want to. I say you've got to have the want to. You know, the thing about sin, and this is, this is so, so serious, is that sin and Satan are both designed to destroy the will, the want to in you. And when you come to church and, and you see this, this singing and and shouting and everything, there's just something in you that you don't really want to get involved. You're getting in very serious trouble spiritually. You understand what I'm talking about? And when people are singing and they're getting with it and you're sitting back and you'd rather be writing notes or gazing around at some girl or some boy or talking to somebody, you're in serious spiritual trouble because that element of the will has diminished to the point that you don't really care. And the plan to destroy man is so simple because the truth of the matter is if you want to be lost, you have to do nothing. It's such a lazy thing. You have to do nothing. I meant nothing if you want to be lost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Isn't that something? Now, let's first talk about Satan, because uh, this is something that, that you really need to look at. I'm sure that most all of you in this building could quote John 10, verse 10. But I want you to turn there. I want you to look at the Scripture. I, uh, I like to use this method of preaching because it, it, it enhances Bible knowledge. If you... If you in John 10, Jesus talks about that he is the door to the sheepfold. Jesus is the door. 
Jesus is the door. Now, if you want to be saved, you've got to come through Jesus in order to be saved. You know that? Now, I see Jesus on a fixed path, the straight and the narrow, and there's the door. So you can't go through Jesus if you're off over here on some other path going in some other direction. You can't. Now, you may be talking about Jesus, but, oh, my Years ago, when I was first saved, somebody handed me the book, In His Steps. And I remember reading it. I've never gotten away from the book. It was a young man that decided that everything that he would do in life, just in order to please the Lord, that he would ask himself, is this what Jesus would do, and would Jesus actually go with me in what I'm doing? So every step he took in life, Regardless of what it was, whatever he listened to, would Jesus listen to this? Whatever he read, would Jesus read this? Wherever he went, would Jesus go there? And how that particular mindset led to such a tremendous relationship with God. You know, whatever you do in life, whatever question you're trying to to find an answer to, the best thing to do is ask, would Jesus do what I'm doing? Would, would, would he actually do this? Would he put his blessings upon it? You know, and I hear this all the time about uh, people say, well, it's not specifically stated in the Bible. Ask yourself, can you see Jesus doing this? Can you see Jesus going where you're going? You know? You follow what I'm saying? Would Jesus accompany me? Would he have a good time where I'm going to have a good time? I mean, that's just that's very challenging, isn't it? No. In your home, if you have, uh, you know, and I, I just, I really believe, I, I actually believe this with my whole heart, that, that you know, <laughs> Christianity starts in the home. And, and in the home, you know, the home should be purged to the point that, that you know, all the materials and records and such that you have, if you couldn't see Jesus putting his blessings, that is, sitting down with you and putting his blessings upon it, you should just get rid of that. Now, you may say, well, Brother Grant, you're so narrow-minded. That's all right. My brains are not falling out. You follow what I'm saying? Some people are broad-minded; their brains fall out. Now, you see, here's here's the thing: that if if you live, you know, I talked to I the one of the the last time I preached. That's been a long time ago. It seems like I I, I talked about uh, Satan setting up a stronghold. I believe he can do that. I actually believe he can. I believe that you can have some things in your home. That, that magnifies Satan and glorifies Satan. I believe it's easy for Satan to come in and set up a stronghold in your household. And then you wonder, wonder why that things in my household are not right. It seems like the my house is void of the blessings of God. This is the reason why in your own household that you, you have to be very careful about what you say and who you speak about. You're talking about a brother or sister. Do you think Jesus would sit down and join in that conversation with you, with that person, against somebody? 
You think he would do that? You think Jesus would enjoy going in one of these rooms with you with somebody and talking about somebody? I realize that there are times in which various problems of individuals must be discussed. But I'm basically talking about discussing people just for the sake of discussing them. And gossip is sharing information with someone about someone who is not a part of the problem nor the solution. In other words, if someone shares some bad information about someone, first thing you should ask them is, how does this affect me? What am I supposed to do about it? Well, I just wanted you to know. Well, you should not be told. Now, we're talking about going to heaven. We're talking about living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. See, Satan can come in and set up strongholds. John 10, verse 10. All right, Jesus talked about he was the door of the sheepfold. Verse 9, I am the door. All right, verse 10. But the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. Oh. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to destroy your happiness. He can set up a stronghold in your house and destroy your happiness. People can get so plagued and hung up on gossip with people and such. You know, I remember one time talking to a sister about gossip. She said, well, we can't do anything else. Please don't tell us we can't gossip. Honestly, she was dead serious when she told me that. I said, but, but. She said, that's the only thing we can do. That's the only enjoyable thing. But did you know what? If you enjoy talking about something, you have a very warped sense of humor. And there's something morally wrong with someone who enjoys finding fault in somebody else. There's something morally wrong. Giving this a little time to soak in. Now, you may think, well, Brother Grant's going to skin everybody tonight, and that's not... But I'll tell you what, we're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost, and there are going to be people seeking God here at this altar in just a few minutes. But there's something morally wrong, and the devil, see, wants to set up a stronghold. He wants to steal your happiness. He also wants to steal your strength and health. One of the first things you need to do when you get sick is to repent and search your heart. And if you have a problem in your household of somebody being sick all the time, that's what you need to do. Now, please understand, I am not blaming all the sicknesses in your household on sin or Satan. You follow what I'm saying? I just simply know that the possibility is there. I think this is the reason why James says that we should anoint with oil. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and God shall raise them up. And if they have committed sins, if, doesn't mean you have. I have a lot of problems with allergies when I have this flare-up, and I've had it recently. Quite frankly, the first thing I start doing is asking God, am I, am I living a favorable life? Am I doing something, God, that I shouldn't be doing? And the reason why I want to, I, I must pray that way because, listen, I've got a lot of responsibilities. I've got a lot of people to see, a lot of people to pray for, a lot of places to go, a lot of messages to preach, a lot of Bible studies. I can't afford to be sick, Lord. But after searching my heart, and, and you know, if I'm sick, I'm just sick, and people get sick. And, and we've had the flu bug passing through the church, and, 
And some of you simply caught the flu because you got near somebody else that had it and had nothing to do with, with sin. But yet on the other hand, you know, if, if week after week after week and month after month after month and month turns into months turn into years and after a while you see that your household is void of the blessings of God, it's time to get serious about this. That doesn't mean that once you get serious about it, you're going to root out some problems going to give you instant health. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying this. You haven't lost anything by purging your heart and taking, in, taking inventory. <clears throat> you have actually gained in your relationship with God. So you haven't heard a thing. He wants to steal also. He wants to steal your hope. My, when Satan can take your hope away from you. You know, hope is one of the first fruits of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I came to church hoping for a good service, for a great move of the Lord. When I went in the prayer room, I saw the number of people in the prayer room. We had a lot of people in the prayer room tonight, all the way from office to the back window. I met people all over the place. So now this is going to be a dynamic worship service. When this many people are serious about their relationship with God, and sure enough, I'm here to tell you the blessings of the Lord fell and people were dancing in the Spirit and some were running. And my, it did my heart good to see Sister Melody Shepherd run. I've seen you run before, Melody, but it's been a long time, see. But see, God got a hold of Melody at the Sunday school convention. And I saw her shaking under the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not saying this to say that I thought Melody had backslidden. I'm just trying to tell you how God can renew your hope. And, and put the anointing upon you and change your whole perspective in life. Because the devil liked to steal that from you. He'd like to rob you of that. Where you'd say, well, what's the use of me getting happy? Nothing happens anyway. You know, that's what the devil, that's the mindset the devil would like to give you. Why should I even try? Because when I try, it seems like the harder I try, the worse things get. Oh, this is the day and the hour that we need to take God seriously. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Give us that forceful, aggressive attitude toward God. I need God. I must have God. And the devils of hell can't stand between me and God. I'll fight my way in and push my way in and get a hold of God. Amen. Nothing will stop me from having victory. Now, I believe in redemption, and I know the Bible says that we're redeemed, but I think that full redemption takes place when we die and we're resurrected in a new body or when the rapture takes place. Now, I know I, I probably will say something that's contrary to some of your thinking, but I, 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 I've talked to so many people in my life, and they, they, 
Since I was a child, I've heard saints say this. I, I'm not going to die. I'm going to go up in the rapture. And, you know, I, I just have a... At the time in which I formed this opinion, which was many years ago, I, I guess I formed this opinion when, when I was dragged by my mother. My mother always thought I should go to funerals. I think she took me to funerals because she thought they stirred me. But any funeral, she said, you are going. I'd go in and, you know, <clears throat> the preacher would make death and it seemed so almost enjoyable. You know, like, oh, it's so great to die in Jesus. On and on and on and on. You know, you just almost want to go up there and say, would somebody shoot me so I can go to? <clears throat> you know? But <laughs> I knew enough Scripture that when I'd hear people say, I, won't, I don't want to die, I want to go up in a rapture. I knew enough Scripture to know that, hey, if, if you know the Scripture... The way I know Scripture, which is limited and, and much more so then than now, what's so wrong about dying? You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I mean, <laughs> you know, everybody's going up in the rapture that lives on this side of Calvary. That is, if they're saved. So, But see, full redemption takes place when... when the spirit comes back to the body or when we're changed from mortal to immortal when the trumpet blows and we're still alive. That's full redemption. Complete redemption. Now we have been redeemed as far as being born again. You know, Satan will do anything to kill a person before they're born again. Now he doesn't have to destroy, he doesn't have to kill the body. All he has to do is kill the will. See, when, when we look at all the abortions that are taking place in, in, in our world today, we look at all this, and, and if I remember correctly, and I read this in the paper, President Clinton made a statement. He mentioned something about 25 million abortions per year in the United States. And he said this is way too many. So you think about that now. You, I mean, you were talking about... I, I, I thought that was kind of an odd statement to make, especially when you are fighting for government funding for abortion. But nevertheless, this is what he said. And, of course, he said it one day after Dan Quayle made his speech about family values. And surprising to a lot of the, the liberals in politics, Dan Quayle's uh, message went over well with the American public. A poll was taken, I think 73% of all Americans said they believed in what he was saying. Thank God for that. Now, there's a lot of people rethinking this thing through. It's because they say, hey, we got to do something. You know, we got to do something. And so we're trying to pass crime bills. We're trying to do everything. The devil will do anything he can to destroy the person before they're born. Uh, but all he has to do is just kill the will. That's all he has to do, make the person not want to be saved. 
But being full redemption doesn't really take place until we are changed from mortal to immortal because he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. If after you're saved, if the devil can somewhere down life's road destroy the will to continue. That's all he has to do. That's just all he has to do. So when, when you are praying or when you're worshiping, anytime you come in the house of God and there's not something that just kind of leaps outside of you, uh, such as singing or whatever, if, if when you're praying in the prayer room and you don't feel something propelling, pushing those prayers outside of you, in other words, you're not wanting to do what you're doing, it should send out red alert signs all over your soul that now is the time to be aggressive. There's nothing I like better than to go in the prayer room and just sit there and feel God and feel those prayers coming out of me. But sometimes I don't. And I pray my more aggressive prayers when I don't feel that. And you go in and just pull off your coat and roll up your sleeve, so to speak, and say, look, I'm not feeling this the way I need to, but I'm going to feel it before I leave here. I'm going to push myself into this. I'm going to make myself do this. Because I feel that there's an enemy. An enemy that's bargaining for my soul. An enemy that's doing everything he can to push back the power of the Holy Ghost off of me. And I'm going to pray and seek God and force my way in. That's what you've got to do. And if you've got something that dominates your mind, you know, if you sit in the house of God and you've got your mind on Pizza Hut, if you're in the house of God and you've got your mind on some girl or some boy, if you sit in the house of God and you've got your mind on what am I going to do tomorrow in, in gym or, or tomorrow in basketball or football or whatever it is, let me tell you something. That's the, I'm serious when I say this. That kind of thinking is wrong. It ends up being damnable because you lose your soul over it. You hear what I'm saying? You lose your soul over it. When you're in the house of God, in the presence of God, you think of one thing, and that is God. And you tune in to God. Now, as much as we have service here, and I'm, I'm, I don't want you to get the idea that church, is the, church services serve as the secret to success with God. But as much as we have service, if all of you, every time you came to church, would 100% of the time while you're in church keep your mind on God, you'd probably go to heaven. Because you would so renew yourself when you're in the house of God that hopefully at least take longer than two or three days to backslide and you'd be back here again. <laughs> Follow what I'm saying. <laughs> but he wants to, Satan wants to kill you. All he has to do, please keep in mind, not kill the body. I don't think that Satan has the power to kill. God has, holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And if he, if he could, if he possibly could kill you, he probably would have already done it. But he can, he can destroy the will. And once the will 
has been destroyed. You know, I have worked with alcoholics and drug addicts, and I just wish I had more expertise. I wish I had more wisdom. wish I knew more about this. But the thing that I found, especially about alcoholics, I've worked with some alcoholics. I've prayed with them. I've prayed for deliverance. I've done everything I've known to do knew to do rather and seemingly did not know enough but it seems like alcohol just captures that will holds that man captive where even praying on the altar while they're weeping and crying and and some of them almost drunk you you feel that they're they're struggling so hard they just wish that they could cigarettes will do this nicotine will do this you know Pray with people that just, oh, God. And you think, more the way they're, they're really hungry for God, the way that we know they're struggling because they, they're saying yes to God, but inside there's, there's some reservations. Inside there's something that says, you can't give me up. I think for every bad habit, there, there must be an evil spirit accompanying that thing. You can't give me up. Can't. Can't. He wants to kill you. And so when the will is killed, you walk away saying, Well, I guess I don't have the willpower. It's just sad. I mean, it's sad. So when you're in the house of God, whatever it is that have you has you captivated. If somehow you can break out of that. And it might not be a sinful thing. Not, you, you, you just may have a new boat and motor or something like that. And you, you've been enjoying it and God's allowed you to have it, but you're enjoying it to the point that it's destroying you. It's become your source of happiness and strength now. It's, it's your morale booster. It gives you the kick on the weekends that you... You don't depend on God anymore. Isn't that what you see when you read uh, Matthew 25, Matthew 24, rather, when Jesus talks about the, the coming, His coming? You read in the book of Luke also when He said they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the day that Sodom and Gomorrah was swallowed up by fire and brimstone. A complacent spirit where people got their kicks from things other than God. Where people seem to enjoy the things of life better than the giver of life. Jesus even talked to people about their worship. Which is greater, the gift that's on the altar or the giver of the gift. Which is greater, the altar or the God that made the altar. Some people just get attached to, to physical, tangible things. Let me tell you something. You don't know this already. The greatest asset you'll ever have in this life is the thing that you cannot see with your mortal eye. And that's God Himself. You can't see it with your eye, but oh, what great joy to give you. And then the last thing the devil would like to destroy you, and I'm convinced that, you notice what it says, to kill, steal, brother, to kill and destroy. Destroy is mentioned last because 
I believe it is, it's in, it's in the proper place, the sequence in which these events occur. Destruction. He's no doubt talking about destruction in hell. Huh. If you turn to Revelation 20, Revelation 20, verse 14, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is talking about destruction of both body and soul in hell. The second death. And then Revelation 21, 8, But the fearful, the unbelievable, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Destruction in hell. You don't hear much talks about hell anymore. Don't want to offend people, you know. You really don't. That's what I'm told. I read it in some religious magazines when they talk about baby boomers. said, don't talk about hell anymore. One man teaching some evangelist, he wants so far as to say, make sure when you're behind the pulpit that you never mention the word sinners because you turn off the baby boomers. They should not be made to feel like they're sinners. But that vernacular is strange to the Scripture. I said strange to the Scripture. If the Bible didn't state it that way, I would have no reason to state it that way, but the Bible states it that way. See, here's what you have to do. You've got you, you to take the Bible, and you have to read it, and you have to personally apply it. So here's, here's what you do when you read this, all right? Let's just take Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, starting with verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. In other words, you say, wow, one of these days this earth is going to pass away. It's going to fly like a cinder from a fire into outer darkness. God's going to make it over and new. simply means that my house, my, uh, everything I have is going to burn up. You think Wisconsin winters are bad on cars? They'll rust out in about four or five days, but God's going to send a fire to purge the earth that'll get rid of that car of yours in a matter of moments. I mean, it's going to melt. Peter even said the elements of the air will burn like fervent heat. Now, I'm talking to you, this is how you should read your Bible. Because, you know, the Bible talks about stirring up the gift of God's within you. And this, this helps you keep things stirred up. You think about fires. I used to work at a steel mill. They would bring those big old huge chunks of steel, all kinds of uh, uh, pieces of steel, car bodies and such. And they had this big charger, an electrode that went down inside. And you talking about when that, that electrode hit that, it was about pure carbon, about probably 16 inches in diameter. Some of them had three chargers that went down. They would hit this big pot, and, and the smoke would bellow out of this. Rust and stuff would come out. It sounded like an explosion. And you see this metal 
that just before your eyes just turns into liquid fire almost. You say, oh God, you mean hell's going to be like this? I happen to work with a man where one of these things tilted and turned over. Tried their best to find remains of his body. They found nothing. I mean, he was gone. Body, bones, everything in a matter of seconds. I was working with him one day, and the next day, I asked about him. They said, oh, you didn't hear? I went in, and I asked him. I don't know why. They said, he worked overtime last night, and they was taking this charge, and they, was gonna, they were going to dump it in this big ladle in which they made these, these uh, big molds. And later on, they put the molds in the soaking pits, which are the furnaces, and they roll the steel out. And one of these things hit something. I don't know what it was, a crane or something. It was in his way and dumped it over. It was just bubbling. My. I'm serious when I say this. They said they could not find one, not one thing that reminded them of a human body. It just disintegrated. Went up into the smoke. Oh, God. The earth's going to be purged and made new. The very elements of the air are going to be charged somehow with atomic energy that's going to purge it all. Everything that you think so important is going to be burned up and it's going to pass away like a cinder from a fire. When you go to the pig roast and you see this big bonfire that Roy Grant's going to have, and he always has a great big one. I don't know how he's escaped the fire department. But you see these things just flying away and say, that represents my house. That represents my wardrobe. That represents my car. That represents everything that I have. It's going to fly away and burn up just like that. I'm talking about this is where you read your Bibles. Now John saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, back up. All right. Back up. Back up. Stay on verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no... You remember in Luke, Jesus gave the parable about Lazarus and the rich man. You know, there won't be any water in hell. You know the reason why there won't be any water in hell? Because water cannot withstand the heat of hell. Earth is going to be so purged by fire that it'll destroy the oceans. The oceans will be like desert beds when God finishes purging it. <laughs> and I, John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Now, this is how you personalize this. You mean, Lord, I can escape all of this? You mean, Lord, I can be in the holy city? You mean, I can have hope like this? Oh, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe all, all tears from their eyes. You remember the sad moments, some of you macho boys, sad moments when you were alone, nobody was in your room. You remember how disgusted you were with things and how much 
confusion. Some of you have been so confused at times that tears have come to your eyes when you were alone. You're too macho for anybody to know that. But you know how miserable you are at times. But you see, God can give you such a peace. He can wipe away all tears. The tears of suffering. My, the tears of suffering. I just read a report on pain. I'll tell you, I, I just... I guess I didn't understand just how important pain was. I read this report. A doctor who worked with leprous patients, people who had leprosy. Talked about a little girl was brought to him. This little girl uh, appeared to be okay. She had bright eyes, charming personality. But the only thing, her mother had her feet all bandaged up. And her mother said, you know, the first thing that I noticed about the girl was that I went in the room one day and I noticed the girl looked like she'd gotten in some paint and she was, she had a, the newspaper and she was doing like finger painting, you know, how the kids put their hands in all over. Where'd you get this paint? I didn't even see any. And I looked and... Uh, Part of her finger was missing. That's kind of funny. And she began to feel of it, and the girl didn't act like she knew. And the little girl put her finger in her mouth and bit off, really bit off a piece of it. Because, see, leprosy first attacks the nerves, kills the nerves. This doctor said, I took the bandage off her feet, I found out that she had big ulcers. And what had happened, her, her, her ankle joint was dislocated and her foot had turned one side and she was walking on that uh, part of her, her foot there until her, her uh, leg bone. What's uh, the big leg bone? Tibia? I said that right? Until it was actually sticking out of the skin. But she didn't feel any pain. And see, pain can be so valuable. She felt no pain. So when she got up and she wanted to run, she'd just run. And if her foot was just flopping, seriously, it flopped. He said that the thing about it is that because we could not take that little infant and instruct that little infant how to take care of herself, that this day this girl is institutionalized with no fingers and both legs have been amputated. But let me tell you something. When you're having pain, oh, my. But God's going to come down one of these days and take away all pain. But the only reason why he can do that is when you're changed from mortal to immortal. Because you cannot exist in this present world without pain. Because pain seems to be the, 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 the alarm system of the body. This man, this doctor said, I, I saw a lady one time in a leprous colony and she was, she was cooking some yams on a, a fire. 
and one of them slipped off of a stick and fell in the fire, and she was trying to get it out. She couldn't. And there was a man that walked over there and reached into the coals and picked it up for her and put it back on her stick. And he said, when I looked to see, I knew he had used both hands. He had no fingers. And he had just literally burned himself just to do this. And with the hardest thing, he said, as a doctor trying to treat these patients, the hardest thing is to teach them how to protect themselves. He took his stubs and reached them and picked that yam up and put it back on that stick. He said, I saw a man running one time to get in front of the line. And said when he first started running, he had crutches. He took his crutches off. And when he got up there, he had literally broken his foot off. He had broken his foot off again. He said, I put this man on a stretcher, and without any pain, I had to pull the splinters out of the end of the bone, already pierced up into the marrow. Had to amputate his leg at the knee. He was so happy to be first in line. We have pain today for a reason. But one of these days, the old body is going to be changed from mortal to immortal. And there will be no need of pain anymore. Mine. Neither shall there be any more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Can you believe that? I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain a water of life freely. But you've got to be thirsty. You've got to have the want to. You've got to have it. God, give me the want to. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, have I overcome fear? Am I afraid of what somebody's going to say about me? Young people, I understand you. You don't, And you don't think your parents understand you, but we understand the peer pressure of young people. We try to get you to ignore a lot of it because usually there's one or two among you that are true leaders and they ignore all the things of the rest of you but the rest of you follow that one or two. Why don't you be the one that makes it to the altar? Why don't you be the one that sets the example? Why don't you overcome the fear of peer pressure? And then to you adults, on your job or wherever you work, are you afraid to declare that Jesus Christ is really your Savior and that you are on your road to heaven? I'm going to tell you something. The people who are living for the devil, they don't mind using His name in vain, God's name in vain. Some of them talk more about Jesus on, on the, in the marketplace than you do. The unbelieving. The unbelieving. Oh, my, I could spend a lot of time on this. Just lose your faith in God. Just don't believe the abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. I'll tell you what, we live in a very loose, morally speaking, world. 
seducing spirits or ever. I mean, there's one thing that burns me up. See somebody go down the road and and, and hear on the mirror of their car something. They got one of these Playboy bunnies. You know what they're saying? I keep my mind on sex all the time. Can you believe that? Did somebody advertise that? It's all I think about sex. may sound plain, but you know what I think when I say see that? I think he doesn't have much of a sex life. It must not be too gratifying. That's all he thinks about all the time. You hear me? And you know, the worst thing that you could do as a Christian is try to be a sex symbol. I'm preaching about everything tonight. Eh? <clears throat> really? I'm serious with you. When you look at a Christian woman or a Christian man, all you see is a sex symbol or whatever. There's something drastically and morally wrong with a person. I know we've had some young girls say, well, yeah, but with these tight skirts, I'll have to have this slit. First place, you ought not have a skirt that tight. Period. Then you wouldn't have to worry about the slit. <clears throat> I just have to give you what I have. <clears throat> we'll let it go with that. Idolaters. Idolatry in America is a big thing because we have so many people worshiping other people. Really. <clears throat> so many people. You know the reason why the baseball strike's going on right now? You know the reason why some of these men can get six and eight and ten million dollars per year? Because poor suckers like you will go out and hear them and make idols out of them. That's the reason why they can do it. You say what you want to, but if people wouldn't be so gullible to all this kind of nonsense. You may say, do you think baseball's nonsense? I think anything that reaches that level of priority and those very same people to get them in the house of God, to get them to support a missionary to a foreign soil would be unheard of for that kind of person. People said, how can we afford this? I looked in the paper this past week. In order to go to a Packer game, a person with four people, they have to pay $152 on an average for four, a family of four to go. And we say, please, would you give to Sheets for Christ? Could you at least sacrifice a few hot dogs? We make idols out of those people. And, 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 and then we blame them. <clears throat> I remember one time, somebody went and bought a, uh, they called it a, an African tea plant. And they, they put it in, in, in the church. And I, could, I didn't know what it was. 
you know. And somebody came along and said, oh, that's an African tea plant. Don't you know that, that people in Africa worship that plant? So we, we, we I said, well, I'm not going to blame the poor plant for what those people do. I mean, it's not the plant's fault. Somebody donated this, and we're just going to enjoy it. Several people found out about this. Said, oh, my. We can't have this in our church. I said, well, look, we're not going to blame the poor plant. Somebody came in our house, and Sister Grant had one of these a little ceramic frogs. Somebody made for had a big mouth, and you put it down by the sink, and you put your scrub pad inside. So you got to reach inside. They came and said, oh. They said, you know, the Egyptians at one time worshipped frogs. Well, I know one thing. If they worship frogs, there's a whole lot of praising going on in Moses' day. <laughs> they probably worship themselves to death. <laughs> but I said, you don't mean to tell me I'm supposed to blame the poor frog for what the Egyptians did? So what I'm saying is, we set these people up as our idols. Oh, I could really get anointed here. <clears throat> really. People go around and say, Roseanne. No. And yet her program's still number one in America. I've never seen a Roseanne program. I've seen her pictures. I read something about her in the paper. And she, her last book. She stated in the paper, I wanted to name my last book that I wrote, Kiss My Bleep. You know, I bleeped the word out. That's what she said. She said, because I thought that this was typical of the way that the average American thinks. You may say, they don't think that way. Well, why are they making her number one in the polls? And then liars, and all liars. You know, you have to watch. You've got to be a lover of truth in order to, to portray the truth every time. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I've never seen a volcano. I did go to, to uh, uh, St. Petersburg in... Martinique, who was in 1934, I think it was, in which this volcano destroyed the whole city. There was one man that was in jail, and when they put him in jail, they put him in a cave, like they make a cave, and they put a, and this lava came away. His body was burned. He became a celebrity, going over the country telling the story. He told it at uh, circuses and things. But I saw the ruins of this. You know what amazed me was that, that for many, many years, and what stopped this evidently, someplace, all of this brimstone and such from the center of the earth. I don't know why the earth burns in the center. Maybe somebody here knows. Uh, I've followed science pretty carefully in certain areas, but it seems to be mysteriously burning. You go out to 
to uh, Yellowstone and you see these geysers and such. This water seeps down until it gets so hot, it just blows out. You see these paint pots where uh, this heat's coming out, bubbling out. I've been around some hot springs, Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is near my hometown, is noted for this. But it's heated and it boils out of the ground. But there was somehow this, this volcanic mass, brimstone, passed this big, huge, uh, solid granite crater and pushed it out. This crater was 350 feet high. I don't remember the diameter of it. It just pushed it out. And it just served as a stopper almost. When it pushed it out, it fell back down and stopped the, the flow of lava. Later on, so the wind came through a hurricane and pushed the thing over. So it's just laying out on the ground. Let me tell you something. I saw a theater that seated 1,200 people. It was made out of solid stone. And how the, the fire just literally melted the stone. You walk in the ruins of this city. It is unbelievable. And I say, Lord... You mean the devil wants to kill me and destroy me in hell? Am I going to be a sucker and follow after him? That's what he wants to do to me. <clears throat> the key is found in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And I must finish. I must. I must stop. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Be vigilant, be watchful. You know who's primarily responsible for watching your soul? It's not your dad. It's not your mother. It's not your Sunday school teacher. It's not Brother Eckenrod, your youth pastor. It's not Brother Grant, your pastor. You know who's primarily responsible? You are. David said, my soul have I in my own hands. Here it is, Lord. I've got to watch over it. I've got to guard it. I've got to be careful. Life is just more than meat. The body is more than raiment. But the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants to save you. Would you stand right now? The devil wants to destroy you and God wants to destroy you. But what about you? What do you want to do? Do you want peace that passes understanding? Do you want happiness to the degree that it's joy unspeakable? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to go to heaven? It's really left up to you. You can. I mean, you really can. If you really want. I know this, God is behind you. I also know that the scripture tells me that the angels of heaven are behind you. 
when one sinner repents, you know what happens in heaven? Angels literally leap for joy. <clears throat> you know something else? There are many people here that wants to see you go to heaven. I want to see you go. If God wants to save you, the angels would like to see you saved. If many of us would like to see you saved, you can be saved. But you've got to have the want to. What should my prayer be tonight, Brother Grant? Pray, God, give me the want to. We're opening our altars up now and giving you an opportunity to come and pray. Many people are coming already. <laughs> Let's get a hold of God. Oh, God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Come on, come on and pray right now, would you? Come on and seek the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah.